And so today we're going to jump into a new series that'll take us close to Thanksgiving. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua. Let me ask you this question though. How many of you have ever been weary of traveling? Just raise your hand. Okay. Traveling with little ones can really wear you down. But honest to goodness, um, Amy said something the other day to somebody. We were talking um, to a friend of ours, and she said when she used to attend MC, um, and she'd drive home to see her parents on the weekend, she said she'd sometimes pull off the side of the road and take a nap, like go to a rest area and take a nap. And the person said, but that's only three hours of a trip. (laughs) Well, you know what? You get tired. Even if you're by yourself, sometimes you get weary. And I think the same thing is true. Uh, I know I sure experienced that this past uh, week. I uh, went to Nashville, and um, that drive, even if you split it up a little bit, it's still quite a drive to make, and, um, and you just get weary. You get out of the car, and you feel like you're 98 years old, and none of your bones and muscles are working. You get weary. We get weary in our spiritual journey as well. Just like being on a long car ride with a handful of little ones throwing goldfish at each other or whatever, um, we all get weary in our spiritual journey. And so um, I want to talk through some things in the book of Joshua over the next couple weeks uh, that will give us some encouragement on our journey. And so that's the name of the series that we are going to be doing is Encouragement for the Journey. And it's going to be coming out of the book of Joshua. I'll share with you some context um, from where we are going to pick up the story. Um, But the truth is this, encouragement never hurts. Just, that's so simple, but it's so profound. Encouragement never hurts. Even just on the physical, non-spiritual level, if you are an encouraging sort of person, guess what? You've got plenty of people that want to be around you. (laughs) If you're a negative Nancy or negative Nelly, I hope there's no Nancys in the audience, but I'm sure there's not a Nelly here. Um, If if you're that kind of person, you're you're definitely not going to have a bunch of people that want to spend time with you. And here's the thing: if even if you are not in need of encouragement, and you're around someone who encourages you, something lights a spark inside of you. There's a difference that's made in your psyche, in your mind. There's a difference spiritually made when we receive encouragement. So let me give you some context um, about what we're going to jump into today. If you were to read the last chapter of Deuteronomy, which happens right before um, Joshua, you'd see that the final scene shows Moses. He's standing on the top of a mountain, and he's looking out over the promised land. Now, the backstory is a little bit more detailed and don't have time to go into it today. Moses has been told to take the people out of bondage in Egypt and lead them to the promised land. But Moses does not have the option of going into the promised land. So he passes away. He dies outside of the promised land. But thankfully, the story does not end there. Thankfully, the story of God's faithfulness and his relationship with his people continues even till today. Amen? And so the book of Joshua tells us about the Israelites' next leader named Joshua and their journey into the promised land. 
The people of God, though, soon find out that the journey, they've been weary from this journey that they've already been on, but they soon find out that the land that they're being told to go in and possess, it's not going to be easy. There are going to be challenges. In fact, if you are to believe exactly the extravagant words or extreme words they use, They're like, there are giants there. They're grapes the size of basketballs. I'm telling you, it's a crazy place. Those people are trained for war. All we've ever done is build bricks in Egypt. I mean, like, they've really got it. uh, They're up a river (laughs) without a paddle. They're really headed in a direction that is unknown. It's uncertain. It's fraught with the possibility of bad things or danger. But they soon find out that the only way to go in and possess the land is obedience to God. And they've got to do something even further than just obey, which involves trust that the person who's telling you what to do is telling you the right thing to do. It's more, it's deeper than just obedience. It has to do with them depending on God's strength and not their own. They already know that they really are not a great people, although they're larger in number at this point than they were way back in the day in Egypt when they first started. They're greater in number, but they still are not greater in skill. In fact, I've said that recently in our other series. God tells them very clearly, I didn't pick you because you were awesome. I didn't pick you because you were the biggest. I, I picked you because I picked you, because I wanted to pick you. And that gives me hope that he gives, he picks. And here's the thing. God's word is clear that since the days of Israel, with the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming to be the savior of the world, that God truly has picked every living human being on the face of the earth to be his own. The question really is whether we choose him, whether we pick him. And so the Israelites are struggling and they're going to start to realize that they've got to depend on God's strength, not their own. And it's a lesson that they have to get taught over and over and over again. How many of you remember the story of Jericho? Anybody? This is the first city. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, we do have a a young woman in the church whose name is Jericho. Um, But we're not talking about the person. We're talking about the place. And that is the, the story that we understand from Scripture is that they did nothing of human power, might, or strength. And that was the first city that they were to conquer in the promised land. And God alone did it, but it required their obedience. So while we're talking about the spiritual journey that we're on, I think it's important that whether or not you're a senior saint and you've been saved since, you know, way, way long ago, or if you're just at the starting line of believing in God, each one of us needs to come to the recognition, the, the reality that obeying God is of utmost importance and so is our dependence on Him. If we can remember really those two key anchor things, 
in the midst of whatever it is we face in our spiritual journey, then I truly believe with all of my heart that according to God's word, we'll see, and I'll show you through several places today, that God will be with us and just like he was with the Israelites. But what's even better than that is that since Christ came, he can actually be in us. Not just leading us through a problem, a trouble, a trauma, um, an issue with a marriage, a co-worker, a miscarriage, or some crazy life dilemma. It's not just that he goes before us, but it's that he can actually live inside of us and help us on the journey. So the book of Joshua, to me, I think, really helps us have a clear picture of our own spiritual journey with God. Just as Israel moved from bondage in Egypt into freedom, eventually, in the promised land, we as believers have the ability to move from bondage to sin to faith in Jesus Christ. So, we've always got to remember this, and I need to remember it just as much as anybody else does, that God provided for their every need, not their want, but their every need, And he was always at work on their behalf. If you are God's child, he loves you. He's looking out for you. And even more so, he's not just looking out for just some sort of random chance event that takes place that he can kind of hold off and prevent. He is actually going before you. There's a place in scripture that says he goes before me. He surrounds me on the backside. He's above me and below me. I literally, if you took it like the imagery of a child's cartoon, he's a force field around every believer. And that is a powerful encouragement For you, no matter what you're facing, whether it be a death or a loss or the job transition or any of those things, God works on behalf of his people. It's so, so good. And I haven't even got to my first point. The title of the message today is this, Getting From Here to There. So go with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 will be there shortly, but um, for those of you that don't know, and this is really funny, well, this, hold on, let me just, the other day I went to a donut place, and you say, pastor, you're always talking about being healthy, why'd you go to a donut place? Because it was open, and, bec- and because it sounded good, I didn't need a donut, but I, I got something that had some protein, I got a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. The woman who greeted me, though, had a very thick, very thick New York accent. And when she greeted me and said, you know, good morning, how are you, whatever, uh, took my order. When she came back, she was heating it up or something, and she took my money. When she came back, I said, you've got to tell me where you're from, because I know you're not from around here. And she said, well, actually, I was born and raised in New York City. And she goes on to tell the story. She's lived in Alabama for 12 years and now Mississippi for a handful of years. She still has not lost any of that thick, thick accent. I lived in New Jersey, I say that, uh, for almost 20 years. Um, When I say y'all, it doesn't sound natural like y'all sound natural when y'all say y'all. Okay, But I do have southern roots. But living in New Jersey, we had this option or opportunity all the time to go into New York City whenever we wanted to. We were 30 minutes away. You could go park your car, get on a train, go into the city, and it was awesome. We went there for holidays to go see lights. 
We went there to go shopping. I mean, we just enjoyed it, loved it, loved it, loved it. I'll never forget this one trip that we took, though, and it was probably one of the first ones that we took. And my dad was not confident. This is the days before GPS and cell phones and all the stuff. My dad was not confident about where he was going to take us once we got there. And so he stopped and asked a nice New Yorker. There are nice people there, okay? Don't be scared if you go visit. Um, there are nice people there. And he asked this person, he said, hey, he said, uh, we're trying to get to so-and-so. Um, and I'm not really sure if I'm headed in the right direction. And the man's response, I remember to this day, he said this, you can't get there from here. Well, what do you mean? I mean, it has a New York City address. We're in New York City. It's in one of these five boroughs. Like, there's got to be a train, plane, car, taxi. Like, there's got to be a series of streets I can take to get to the place. You can't get there from here. What he was trying to really communicate was it's complicated, and he's probably rude and being in a hurry and didn't have time to, like, write down seven steps for directions. So he's like, hey, good luck, man. That was kind of his, his thought process. But the title of my message today is getting there or getting from here to there. And the truth of the matter is, even if you have to walk a long journey, drive, fly, whatever, you can get anywhere you want to. The same thing is true of your spiritual life. You do not have to stay stuck in the place that you are. And I believe, I have faith this morning to believe that God is calling each and every one of us to a there from the here that we're in. And sometimes we can just get stuck thinking here is all there is. I'm speaking spiritually this morning. I hope that your ears are open to hear what that means. Because I really do believe that you're here could be a place of disappointment and despair. And you've lost hope of being able to find a place of joy. Maybe it's possible that the here that you're experiencing right now is a place of striving and a place of struggle. But the there that God wants to bring you to is a place of peace in His will. A place of purpose. I really believe that each one of us, no matter how saved we are or how long we've known God, how long we've been on this journey, I really believe that God wants to move us into a new level or a new direction. That's not to say that where we're at right now is all that bad. But it is to say I believe that God wants all of us as believers to be progressing in our faith. That's why when I look at Joshua, the book of Joshua, and I look through and see these passages specifically in Joshua 1, we'll look at right now, um, I see that the Lord is doing something that's always progressive, moving them to a, a greater good or a, a bigger goal than maybe even they understand. Look at what Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. After Moses died, Joshua was challenged by God. And here's the thing. 
Joshua was not new. It's not like he just showed up and he got like adopted by a Jewish family. He was born and raised in the Israelite clan that was moving through the desert. He understood. He wasn't, he was stepping into a new role, but he understood the ins and outs of everything. He had seen the true colors of the people that he was going to have to lead. In fact, although scripture doesn't put it in such casual terms, I can imagine him listening to Moses vent a time or two, right? Moses comes back and he's like, oh my goodness, you should have heard what Betty's saying out there. She's trying to start a riot all because we don't have, or whatever the case may be. There's possibly, possibly, and probably a time or two or dozens that he had heard the vent sessions of Moses about all the challenges that they were facing. But Joshua chose to accept the challenge that God laid before him to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He knew the people's weaknesses and all of those things, but he chose to lead them into the promised land, I believe, because he trusted God. So the challenge that he accepted, it was a challenge to the untamed I want you to go with me to Joshua chapter 3. We'll look at a small passage and then we'll come back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 3 tells us, it's kind of like me hitting the fast forward button. This is when the people are setting out to literally step across the Jordan River. And it says in verse 14, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, listen to me. Scripture is important and it's written intentionally. The Ark of the Covenant carried the presence of God and they did not move in front of it. They waited for God to move. So that symbolism was there of the priest being the first one to go. It says, so verse 15, And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the river, and then there's this parenthetical. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, which is when they were there. Verse 16, it says, The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Look at what verse 17 says. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation, the whole nation, finished passing over the Jordan. Some of you may not remember that this took place. You may think of the parting of the sea to leave Egypt, but this is another parting that takes place. Here's what's incredible, though. If you depended on your own plan... Don't you think you would have waited on the clock until the season for drought and dry time was before you moved into a river with probably a million people at flood stage? If you waited to do it the way that you think you should do it, 
Joshua very well could have come up and been a super wise man with an incredible IQ and all of those things and could have developed some other plan if God just said, hey, figure it out, but this is where I want you to go, then that would have been okay. They could have waited until there was dry ground or till the river was very low. Here's the incredible thing. Not a single person died in this transition. Even though the waters were at flood stage, God made a way where there seems to not be a way. And he can still do that same thing today in your life, your family, your marriage, your job, your finance. I'm convinced of it because I've seen him stop the waters in my life on both sides of me and let me walk through into a promise. I'm convinced he's the same God today that he was back then. Amen? We honor God in our willingness to trust him during hard times. Let me say that again. We honor God. We please God when we choose, when we're willing to trust him in the hard moments of our life, in the hard times that we face. So it was a challenge that was untamed. And everyone faces untamed situations in life. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or you're wicked. The sun rises and sets. Cancer diagnosis is given. People are lost. There's all sorts of bad things that happen to the good and to the bad. To the pretty and to the ugly. I was going to say the good, bad, and the ugly. But everyone faces these things. And it doesn't matter if you're a sinner or a saint. We face unexpected things in our lives. If it was just the good, bad, and the ugly, I was just trying to think, how could I get out of facing hard times? It's fine. It's because I'm handsome. Okay. When we face the untamed, though, as believers, God is going before us. He is going before us. So... It was very possible. I want you to just put yourself in the sandals of an Israelite. Understanding you heard mom talk about the crossing of what we call the Red Sea. Getting out of Egypt. But now grandma and mom have died. There's a new generation of people. But you remember what she spoke about how God had been faithful to rescue them. You remember hearing your grandfather say, but you don't understand, we were facing an unsurmountable circumstance and there was no way that we could pass through but God. And then you see on the banks of the Jordan River, the fact is, and I don't know if you notice these ditches out here, but they overrun and I'm very glad, very thankful for the mounds on either side, specifically on our property side because when I come in and there's a heavy rain that water is all the way up to the driveway and it's slowly snaking its way through there so understand if you've ever been by a river at flood stage or anything like that you know it's a powerful moving body of water loss of life would happen within seconds little babies would just be swept away women children animals all these things but then you hear someone tell you step in the direction of the river. How many of us would have faith even the size of a mustard seed? I mean, I'd probably let Betty go in front of me 
and just see like, hey, what's going to happen? Is the water going to rush in? If, if not, okay, Betty's good. Okay, John's good. Okay, all right, Amy's good. Okay, I can go now. <laughs> you got to let somebody else test the water, right? Here's the thing, though. If you really pay attention, God demonstrated his power and he went first. It's incredible to think that where God calls, when he wants you to go from here to there, he takes the first step toward us always. That's amazing when you think about it. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about God just revealing his power um, in our lives when we're in our weakest moments and most vulnerable. He says this in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Uh, I don't have time to get into the theology of it, but if you're familiar with the term previously in that chapter, he talks about what he calls a thorn in the flesh, something that was bothering him. There's all sorts of assumptions, commentaries out there. It could have been some sort of physical ailment, could have been a person, whatever. He says, I came to God three times and pleaded with him, begged that it should leave me. Look at what verse 9 says. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, in studying and prepping for this message, I just kept rereading that over and over again. Because here's the thing. God is not a, a helicopter parent to just lift you out of the situation before you scrape your knee. He actually allows things to take place in our lives because he wants us to see that his grace is sufficient. He says this, for my power, God's power, is made perfect in my weakness. That's the truest way to understand what he said there. Therefore, I'll boast or exalt all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardship, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So they faced untamed challenges and the challenge also was unknown. The Israelites were preparing to walk uh, into a land they'd never been in before. They'd only sent in a small group of spies to check it out. They had no idea really what, all con what it all consisted of, and it was unknown to them. But I have a feeling some of them would have heard the story been told that Abraham had been told to pack his bags and leave and go, and God said, I'll tell you when you get there. They had to have faith to go into this challenge, which was unknown to them. And so this, again, this is a new generation of people. It's not one of them knew what the future held. And you don't know what your future holds either. None of us do. Each day we face unknown things. And there's good natural reason and response inside of you to fear the unknown. But as we discuss spiritual things, I know it's cliche and there's a bunch of ladies with cute t-shirts that say it. You have got to have a faith over fear mentality. 
You really have got to choose to believe in the God of heaven and earth who loves you and has called you according to his purpose. You say, Pastor, I'm not in ministry. What do you mean? I just work as a this or a that, fill in the blank. God has designed you on purpose for a purpose here in this life and in this world. And when the unknown happens, we've got to choose faith over fear. Following God into this unknown territory for them was going to create in them a dependency on Him which led them to victory. I don't know if you're familiar with the term that started being thrown around, I guess, ever since I was little. I've heard it in jokes and heard it in other places. Um, This term, codependency. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Um, Anybody ever known somebody that was codependent? Okay. Yeah. So you understand a little bit of what that means. I know the American ideal is complete personal independence. Like, let me just independently think, choose, make my own decision, all those things. When we face unknown circumstances, we had better have someone, someone, not something, someone to depend on. And guess what? Your husband and wife will fail you. Your friends will fail you. Your bank account will fail you. Your boss will fail you. Any of these things are possible to fail you. But there is one thing in all of God's universe that is, it is impossible to fail. And that is God himself. And he wants to go with you. Amen? He wants you to depend on him when we go and face the unknown. People will fail. But God never will. The second thought that I had as I was looking through Joshua chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 5 through 7 in just a second, was this. They recognized God's commitment. Verse 5 says this. No man shall be able to... This is God speaking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. I believe that Joshua could accept the challenge that God laid before him because he recognized God's promise to him. In essence, God was saying to Joshua, if you accept this challenge, I'll commit myself to you. The same thing is true of you and I as believers that as we commit, as we accept the challenge that God lays before us and specifically when we accept Christ into our life and to be our Savior and our Lord, when we do that, God says, I am committing myself to you. The God of the universe Just listen to me while the Holy Spirit does a work inside of my spirit right now. The God of the universe has committed to you for your success. 
This is, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel telling you to sow a seed in the offering bucket. I'm telling you, God loves you enough that he wants to see you benefit and live for his purpose and for his good, for the good of others around you. God's got great things. I'm just a garbage man. I'm just a farmer. I'm just a this. I'm just retired. No, you're not. You're God's own possession and he is committed to your success, maybe even more than you are. That's good. So he commits something. He commits provision. He commits his peace. He commits all sorts of things. But there are three things that I notice specifically in verses 5 through 7 that he commits regarding his presence, which I think is a most valuable asset. There's no dollar amount that you can put on it. To be able to experience the presence of God is something you cannot put a price tag on. To know that God is with you, in you, that you sense his presence leading you is priceless. You can offer somebody a million dollars and they wouldn't be able, that's still not enough to be able to compare to what God's presence is like when it's with you. His presence, letter A, his presence is powerful. In verse 5, God reminded Joshua that no one would be able to stand against Israel. He did not say it was because of their power, strength, military, valor, any of those things. It's because of him, his powerful presence. And when we accept Christ into our life, we can experience that same process or same promise, rather, that his power and his presence will bring to us. I think sometimes we complicate and overthink spiritual things. And if you're honest, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're honest, you might have this weird thought in the back of your head, well, I kind of feel like I need to go like to church several Sundays in a row, not say a bad word, not have a bad thought, have the perfect marriage, um, and then God will be with me. God wants to expose his power in your life, even in the moment of your weakness and temptation and brokenness. And I would say even more so demonstrated in those moments. The power of his presence can change your life. And what's amazing is that his presence will not just be with you, but inside of you. In fact, he's given us the Holy Spirit. You, you might not remember this passage, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus is basically quoted as telling the people, Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. He is not dead. Come on, somebody. He is not dead. He is surely alive. And we're not talking about God on a physical throne way up above us. We are talking about his personal presence in our life today. Thousands of years after Abraham, Joshua, Isaac, Jacob, all of them. Thousands of years after Christ was here. In fact, the Bible says Jesus actually says in John 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's good that I go away, because if I didn't, then I couldn't send the Holy Spirit to you. His presence is powerful. In fact, when doing a study on the Holy Spirit and his power, 
you'll understand it is an explosive power. It's the type of power that can change circumstances. But God does not always change the circumstance completely that we face. He wants to walk with us through it. I don't think I ever appreciated, as a kid, ever appreciated going into my grandmother's bathroom and seeing the little poster on her wall of footprints in the sand. Until I grew up, graduated high school, and life hit me in the face. (laughs) And then I realized, you know what? As cliche as it is and as old and torn and used as that poem is, it's a true image of who God is. That he's carrying us through the things that we walk through in this life. So not only is it powerful, but it's also personal. It's not a, 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 the power is not of angels or anything else. It's of God himself. And our God is personal. He wants to be known. In fact, he initially shows his presence to the people of Israel by leading them personally with the cloud, with the pillar of fire. There's a demonstration on the daily that he is present with them. Because he wants them to know that he is personally with them. It's hard though. Sometimes we go through hard situations. Difficult situations. And we may be tempted. And and all of us have been guilty in this room. I can guarantee it. I would stake money on it. All of us have come to a place in our life where we've gone, God, where are you? God, where are you? But we serve a personal God who just as he spoke to Joshua, I say to you by the Spirit of God today, I will be with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. God is so good that he loves us enough to be personally involved in our life. He he knows all the details of our life, the struggles, all the issues, and he still wants to be with you. That's amazing when you think about it. Amen? His personal presence guided them daily. And he still does this by the work and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then another thing I noticed about his presence is it's permanent. This is really the kicker for me. Not only is it powerful and personal, but it's permanent. Verse 5 says that, that that assurance was given to Joshua that he would never be left or forsaken. Christ makes the same commitment to us, and he's given us his spirit. When he said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Because here's what he wanted to do. He wanted to fulfill his word that he's been speaking for thousands of years to a small group of people that then enlarged and encompasses everyone who wants it. Which is, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will live inside of them. I'll take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit wants to live inside of you, help you, guide you. Amen. And then I believe in verse 7, there's also something that if we ran too fast through it and just read really quickly, we might miss. And this third point is the command to obey God's commands. 
when we face challenges in this life, and if we are in the place where we need encouragement on the journey, and all of us are at that place, everybody could use a little bit more encouragement, no matter how far and successful you are or advanced in your relationship with God. But there's a challenge that God gives to Joshua and says that he must obey all of the commands. Listen to what he says in verse 7 of chapter 1. Only be strong and very courageous. I love this because that's the action part on Joshua's part. And God says it numerous times. Not because Joshua's deaf, but because Joshua's heart needed to absorb this truth. That you've got to have strength and courage to go where I'm calling you to go. You've got to. And it says this, then it says being careful to do According to all the law of Moses, or that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn to the left or to the right, so that you will have good success wherever you go. God told Joshua that he had to obey God. And I think sometimes we want the blessing of God without the obedience that it requires. You need to tell people in other churches how good this message was today. Listen to me. Are you listening? You still with me? You have, we cannot get to the place where we just want to absorb his blessing without any of the commitment to obey his word. And that's the challenge. Because that's not the fun part. The fun part is just soaking up all the goodness of God and singing about it and being filled with joy. Everything's going great. There's no flood banks uh, in the river. You know, I'm walking across in an inch of water. There's nothing coming at me. No, God wants us to walk where he's calling us to walk. But he says, if you are going to accept the challenge, you've got to obey my word. The problem might be this is for somebody else. It's not for you. But which feelings hurt. Problem might be that you don't know what his word says to obey. If we're not reading it, if we're not involving our, if we are just having a weekend religion, we're not going to have the strength of character or, or the commitment of God on our part to help us get from here to there. It's not going to happen. It won't happen. I can guarantee it. God wants us to obey his commands. And when I say that, I think there's two ways that Joshua heard this in that, in that passage. The first is obey completely. You can't pick and choose. I tell people that. I try to live according to that as well. Each one of us has challenges in that area. You can't pick and choose. There's a difference between some of the ritual stuff that happened that they no, we no longer have to do. But literally, the moral code of what God has put in his word from the first page to the very last page is all required obedience. It's required reading and it's required obedience. I talk to students. I've been subbing quite a bit at CCA. I overhear conversations about, oh, I just cheat in so-and-so's class. I just sit next to a smart kid. Well, here's the thing. 
If you don't know the stuff right now at this first little juncture, you're never going to pass the bigger junction that you come to. It's the same thing in our spiritual life. We can't just skate by with a weekend religion. We've got to obey his word completely. And although I love the Chinese buffet, I don't eat everything on the buffet. Do you? None of you look like you do, so that's good. But no, there are things you don't like at a buffet, so you just pick the things that you like. We can't treat God's word like that. We've got to. Who wants to go to Chinese after church? We've got to treat God's word in a different light. We've got to see it for what it is, and we've got to choose to obey completely. The next thing that I see that Joshua did, and it proved true in his life, was he obeyed consistently. God told Joshua, don't you get off on the left or the right. And I can hear the echo in time in the words of Jesus talking about, take the narrow road. Don't don't go this way. Don't go that way. Take the narrow road. He's obeying consistently. He has to obey the entire law and do so every day. It wasn't just something that he picked to do at some points in his life. It's something that he committed himself to doing consistently. It was a daily journey with God. For the Israelites, getting to where God wanted them meant that they were going to face challenges, but that they had the promise of God's presence with them. I want you to stand and I want the worship team to come. Maybe something I said spoke to you. Maybe something the Holy, maybe the Holy Spirit used something else, a thought that was in your mind in the message, <clears throat> during the message. But I truly believe that God's promise to them to help walk through the challenges that they were going to face and His promise of His presence being with them is still available to you and me today. It's available to us. Nothing has changed. The reality is we're still a people who are traveling. This is not our home. We are on a journey in this life. And life gets weary. Marriage can get weary. Work can get weary. The issues and challenges of family can get wearying. Our spiritual walk with the Lord can get wearied. We can be at that place saying, God, where are you? But there are still requirements for us as believers who want to move to where God wants us. And I truly believe that it's time for you. I don't know what it looks like, but it's time for you to move from here to there. It could be that the Lord has put in your heart today and you've been thinking about something that's been causing you pain. And in the midst of that painful set of circumstances, you've seemed to have lost your purpose. So maybe he wants to move you from pain to purpose. Maybe it's that he wants to move you from a place of bitterness to complete forgiveness. Maybe it's that he wants to move you from a place of trauma and tragedy to a place of healing. It's going to take you taking steps in his direction with his help guiding you. Maybe you're here today 
And maybe you say, Pastor, if I'm honest, I'm just a Sunday Christian. I believe he wants to move some of us from being weekend warriors, weekend believers, to being devoted disciples. And I I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit wants to do something just in these last few minutes that we're together today. If you will give him access and just simply ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? God, what would you have me to do in order to move from here to there?